Welcome to Engineering Is, a Granger College of Engineering Network podcast where we get to the root of STEM with Granger Engineering students. I'm your host, Maddie Rice, and today I am joined by Kevin Murphy! Yay! Thunderous applause from the whole room. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. So, Kevin, why don't you give us just a little standard introduction of yourself, you know, your name, what you're studying. All right. Well, I'm Kevin Murphy. Um, I'm studying mechanical engineering with concentration in robotics. Uh, I'm a first-year grad student, though I went to undergrad at University of Illinois as well. So I've been around for a little bit and uh, got the opportunity to stay. Um, I'm working in uh, the Ramos Robotics Lab, which is a new lab in the Mexi department. Okay. And a lot of what we do is um, building humanoid robotics. So we're just in up and running right now and doing some really interesting stuff there. Cool. Um, outside of the classroom, I enjoy cooking. Uh, I used to do a lot of swing dancing and instructing on campus. At uh, Newman? Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. The Newman Dance Society. If, I've got uh, a few of those. Excellent. Yeah. Good times. Swinging times. <laughs> Finger guns. Finger <laughs> guns. Very cool. So, humanoid robotics, is that what you would say yes. in your study right now? Um, so what you're kind of focusing on in your internship, is that what it is? Um, no, this is just research. So, just research. as I'm uh, pursuing PhD, uh, it's what I'll be concentrating on and trying to implement. Okay. Um, what our uh, goal is, is when we look at robotics, uh, and we look at quadrupedal robotics, like the MIT Cheetah, um, Spot Mini from Boston Dynamics, a lot of those, mm-hmm. all the designs have kind of converged towards one type of thing. And Professor Park in the Mexi department, who recently left, also has a similar quadrupedal robotic. But the humanoid design hasn't converged to something that's very efficient yet. Okay. So what we're trying to do is first design humanoid robotics so we have this um, optimized design to make it able to function as a human. And also wow. work with um, some sort of uh, teleoperation. Right now we see a lot of things that are either not capable of um, operating in normal society because they're just not intelligent enough. Mm-hmm. And other things that have so much, like Boston Dynamics, that it has a lot of um, programming, a lot of stuff, and it's very powerful. But it's still not quite what we need it to be. So the goal of our lab... Mm-hmm. is putting a human in the mix or giving um, the robot human reflexes. And the best way to describe this is, say, it's like Pacific Rim or okay. um, Real Steel. In both of those, we have a human, and the human's movements kind of control what the robot does. And um, what our fun little twist is, is that we're also getting a feedback term from the robot. So when we have something that hits the robot or the robot starts to fall off balance, the human operator is also hit or pushed off balance a little bit so they can react to the situation giving the robot reflexes if you will wow that is crazy and that's happening right here on this campus absolutely that is so cool so how long have you been involved in that um this is a very new lab it just started this semester so we're getting everything up and running um we're redesigning robots buying parts i just had two shipments come in today which is really exciting Two shipments of... Um, we have batteries, microprocessors, um, transceivers, a whole bunch of just robotic components to say what we're going to need for our first prototypes and okay. see if we can get some of our ideas working. And once we get that, we're going to start moving on to stuff that's actually the size of a human. That is so cool. One thing that's uh, interesting to add that I never thought about is um, the feedback to the robot mm-hmm. is a little more um, nuanced than I originally thought. Because when we think about um, animals, they all move at different sizes, like an elephant 
can take a step every you know two seconds and it'll be moving very quickly then we also have a rapid that takes you know several steps a second and moves the same pace and the difference in these um, uh, the number of steps taken per second, the gait, is, has to do with the natural frequency of the body and the leg okay. and how fast they can move them back and forth. So if you're trying to huh. control this robot with your own movement, if it's not the same size and mass as you are, it's going to have a different natural frequency. Oh. So yeah, okay. one thing with the feedback is it can also adjust for that. So if you're in, a, in this robot contraption trying to um, control a robot that's much bigger and more massive than you are. Mm-hmm. It will slow down your movements so you're not moving as quickly. Controversially, if it's a smaller robot with a faster frequency, it will actually help you move faster. So it's a it's a little fun thing that I never thought about until we started implementing it, but it's it's for super cool. That is so interesting. So what are some places maybe we would see humanoid robotics like today? Um, like out kind of in the real world beyond research? Right now, it's a developing field. Like we've okay. we've seen a couple um, companies that are trying to make them for deliveries, trying to make them for uh, yeah. personal assistance. My mind went to Amazon. Amazon. I don't know. If, yeah, it's, I feel like I've done some reading on how Amazon uses like uh-huh. robotics and like shipping centers. They definitely have robotics, but not even humanoid. Okay. Those situations are more industrial based. Okay. Um, but they do have a lot of really cool applications. Okay. Um, the. The driving force behind our professor, uh, Joao Ramos, uh, and his um, his vision of these human robots came from a nuclear meltdown in Japan uh, a couple years ago, where the reactors were running for over 24 hours before um, they had a critical time where they couldn't be stopped. And if anyone could have sent something in there to turn the reactors off, they could have saved a huge amount of damage, a huge catastrophe, but we just didn't have the technology. Yeah. And the goal of this is to build a first responder. So we can say this is not a safe situation for a human, but we can totally send in this robot. We can totally send in um, just this remote thing that's not a life. So we can just say, go take care of this, whether it's fire or um, radiation, lack of oxygen, any of these things we can deal with. So that's the driving force behind the research. Wow, that's an incredibly important driving force. It's fun. Cool. Yeah, it's fun as well, though. It's a, it's a good mix of everything. Is it a, a large team working on these robotics, or is it just like a select few? Right now, it's fairly small since it's a new lab. Okay. Um, we have a couple of grad students who just recently added a fourth. Okay. And um, we're slowly getting that underway. Uh, we're still waiting for our lab to be finished, mm-hmm. but it's really exciting. Once we get it, it's going to be an amazing place. The Fantastic Four. Have you ever seen the movie Big Hero 6? Absolutely. I'm imagining that. A bunch of like cool kind of like 20 something <laughs> just like you know eating junk food and staying up late and building robots and fighting crime do you guys fight crime <laughs> i guess in theory maybe someday you can one day robocop basically robocop yeah they so what i'm getting so far in this podcast is that uh robocop is real <laughs> And you're him. I've never seen the movie. <laughs> is Robocop a person? Um, like, a, like. Yeah, it's, it's a character. What is Robocop? That's what this yeah. podcast is all about. It's a thinly veiled mission for me to learn what Robocop is. <laughs> so far, I'm not doing great, but I'm going to keep trying until I figure it out. Um, okay, so Kevin, what is like a typical day in the life for you? Um, typical day in the life? Uh, I try to make it to the gym early in the morning. Okay. Uh, how Breakfast, early is early? Uh, between like six and eight. 
Okay. Um, so relatively early. Mm-hmm. Also depends on you know, did you go to bed after three a.m. That are you a, are you a morning person? You think or um, definitely not. Okay. <laughs> Same. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely important in keeping health and keeping a uh, life in perspective. So mm-hmm. definitely trying to keep that going. Sure. Um, after that, homework and classes. Uh, get some time in research. Um, you know, it's pretty pretty common. I've mm-hmm. recently. Uh, been offered a job, which I accepted, with the Army Corps of Engineers in Champaign. Wow, very cool. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So I'll be uh, taking 20 hours a week and working there in their robotics section, and also going to school full-time. So it's going to okay. increase, uh, oh, decrease my free time a little bit, but it'll definitely <laughs> yes. be a worthwhile endeavor, a lot of good experience, and uh, good support. Okay. That's me snapping, and congratulations to you. Thank you. That's very cool. So, um... Do you work out at the ARC still? Um, or ARC or Cersei. Depends okay. on how busy one is versus the other. Mm-hmm. You live on campus as um, a grad student. Yes. Very nice. Um, Would you say that your um, relationship with the campus has changed since being not an undergrad anymore? Absolutely. Really? Um, how so? With uh, changing from undergrad to graduate, since you know a lot less people, it's uh, not as um, entertaining being... Uh, in the same place as used to be. You have a lot of good memories, but it's sometimes hard to work there because okay. you either know everyone and you, it's hard to get work done or it's um, just not the same. So I'm definitely finding myself kind of stepping back from a lot of the leadership roles from undergrad, whether it was running the innovation studio, okay. um, which is the mechanical engineering or the Mexi uh, makerspace where we have 3D printers, laser cutters, water jets, a wood shop, things like that. Very cool. Or stepping back from other leadership positions, whether it's in the swing dance club that I mentioned or other. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to uh, spend more time on personal development, um, trying to make sure my education is there, make sure I'm taking care of myself and my health versus uh, making sure uh, society is doing well and that sort of thing. Right. Okay. So speaking of campus and Champaign-Urbana, so I'm Italian. I grew mm-hmm. up here and now I go to school here. And I'm always curious what other students think of Champagne when they first come here. Because you're not from around here at all, uh, are you? No, I'm from the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Um, okay. So uh, coming out here, it seems very much like a large cornfield to me. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people complain about not having anything to do in town, which I don't think is true. There's definitely things you can do uh, around Champaign-Urbana area, and there's definitely things within driving distance that you can do, whether it's drive-ins, running up to Chicago, or... Uh, St. Louis or anything like that, but mm-hmm. man, close by, it's cornfields forever. Disconcertingly flat. Yeah, that's a lot. It's flat. It's very flat. Which oh, is great wow. if you're a runner, apparently. Runner, great for biking. I don't reap the rewards of that perk because I do not run and I never will, but um, you know, if that's your thing. Are you a runner? Um, definitely not. Not okay, built for that. So Cardio is evil. Cardio is <laughs> evil. Honestly, I'm getting that tattooed on my forearm or something life motto yeah a life motto cardio is evil um so you're from washington dc and you've been in champaign for how many years now then um this is my fifth year in this champaign. is your fifth year do you go home often um i make it home usually for a week or two over winter break and then a little bit the beginning and end of each summer um usually the middle i end up either uh working somewhere or out of, uh, out of town doing something so okay well speaking of working out of town I heard that you spent some time even farther from Washington, D.C. recently. Uh, yes. Last summer, I had the amazing opportunity to work for a company called MX3D in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Wow. And, uh, 
It's a, it's a very fascinating company. It's, there are metal 3D printers that use industrial robotic arms and welders to create artwork, structures, and many other things. Um, the best way for me to describe this is it's a MIG welder. For anyone that doesn't know what it is, is imagine a 3D printer or a hot glue gun. And those work by putting you know, a piece of hot glue in this gun and pushing it through a heated extruder that melts it and it comes out liquid and then slowly solidifies. Uh -huh. 3D printers work the same way, well, FDM 3D printers work the same way, of putting like a thin plastic filament, like weed whacker filament, okay, and they push yeah. that through a uh, heated extruder, and that melts onto the next layer, then solidifies. Okay. The only difference between the metal 3D printer that we used, or the MIG welder, and this, is that instead of melting a thin metal wire um, with a heated extruder, it puts a large current through it and that current will heat up the wire and melt it in little bits and has an inert gas flowing around it to keep the flow um, steady and um, keep any nasty uh, formations and oxides and ferrides from forming. Um, mm. So it's, it's pretty cool. They uh, put these printers on, well they put this welder on the end of a robotic arm and they just print it from there. So this is a startup that I found um, honestly from a video in Facebook at like three in the morning. Cool. <laughs> and um, I said oh, I'm already gonna be up till you know midnight anyway, well, until very late anyway. So might as well just email them my resume and ask if they have any internships. Wow. And they uh, emailed me back in the next two days. So it was oh my gosh. definitely a godsend. Um, That's so cool. I gotta start. Like I forget LinkedIn and Handshake. I gotta start stalking Facebook pages at three a.m. That's awesome. It, it so they was, got back to you super quickly. Oh yeah. It's a very small company, so they, instead of going to like a large corporation trying to figure out a place, they just said, hey, this, um, this mechanical engineer also has a computer science minor, so he can work on both aspects of that. He's experienced in design, so we can use him for basically anything we need, mm -hmm. so let's reach out. Absolutely. And it worked super well. Um, I'm going to give a quick shout out to the IPENG department. Um, for oh yeah, I love that. Um, I came to them with this job offer for you know moving uh, you know, over... Uh, over into Europe and just working by myself and said, hey, do you have any support? Do you have anything you can do? And um, they helped me out so much. They're fantastic human beings and they uh, they really allowed me to have a fantastic experience. So, they especially so Meredith. Cool. So. Meredith, shout out Meredith. They are so cool. Uh, so that's really awesome that you were able to like get support from something that wasn't even, you know, started from a program that they offered yeah. necessarily. So it was super impressive and I was super surprised, but it, it made it extremely useful and they still checked in with me while I was over there. Oh, that's so, you know, so how nice. are you doing? Yeah. Um, I ended up taking the study abroad class. Mm -hmm. um, so they also saw my updates so I could email back and forth. Um, wow. They, uh, they were pretty useful. They checked in um, when I arrived. Uh, mm -hmm. My landlord wasn't in the country. Um, oh. that's, a, that's a whole story of a crazy landlord. Oh my goodness. But, the department, you know, was in contact with me, and they were helpful. So, it's it's a it's a blessing to be to have uh, IPENG in your corner. Yeah, that's an understatement. That's such a good uh, point to bring up because they are almost forgotten in some respects with stuff like that. But mm -hmm. they're they're really a great great resource. So, what was it like being in Amsterdam? You were there for how long? I was there for um, about three months. Three I left months, okay. about. Four days after I graduated from undergrad. Oh my gosh. And I arrived 40 hours before driving back to school. Oh my gosh. So it was, it was so you were basically there for all the summer. Whole summer. I mean, hey, if I'm going over, I'm spending as much time there as I can. You gotta do it right. Um, wow, props to you. Thank you. 
Were you like a, a foodie vlogger over there, like um, like all the other study abroad kids? I definitely had a different experience than a lot of study abroad kids. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times when you're study abroad, you're taking classes pass fail, and you're only in class two, three days a week. Um, mm -hmm. Since I was working 40 hours a week, five days a week, I definitely didn't have the classic experience of every weekend I'm going to uh, Spain or Portugal or something. Sure. I would. You know, I got out a couple times, got to Germany, got to Belgium a few times, and just made it around the Netherlands as much as I could. That's awesome. But uh, I didn't have the classic experience. Um, I definitely found I was spoiled being in the Netherlands. Uh, the Dutch culture there, they speak um, Dutch fluently, and 95% of the population speaks English fluently. Okay. So you could they just work there. walk up and say, hey guys, um, English please, and they're like, hey dude, what's up? So No was, way, actually? Oh, was, actually. Oh my god. It was pretty spectacular. <laughs> Um, wow. So I got to meet a lot of cool people there, do a lot of cool things at work. Um, there were some Dutch people I worked with, a couple of French people, uh, mm -hmm. some Polish, some Italians. So it was, a, it was a great mix. And at work we spoke English because it was our... Uh, um, what was the word? Sort of like your intersecting language. That's not the term, language, but you all um, kind of knew it. Passport language. There we go. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, everyone spoke that at work, which was very easy, made it very nice. Though uh, grocery shopping was a little difficult. Why the, was that? Um, the f cuisine was very different, and it was all written in Dutch. So you'd go mm -hmm. up, and you're like, I have no idea what this is. You pull out a translator, and something called beef salad, and it's definitely not meat. So you're just confused. Um, what is beef salad? Beef salad. What is it, that? It's actually potato salad that they just put little bits of uh, oh. like corned beef in. What? <laughs> I definitely would expect it like just like a can of tuna, but beef or something like tuna salad. That's where my mind went. Um, but well, yeah, it was very nice in the sense that uh, you got to try things. Mm -hmm. Saying you know, if I'm only here for a couple months, I'm just gonna buy this. It's like you know, three dollars. Might as well figure out what it is. Like, filet American is there named after America, even though it's not. Uh, consumed here, but it's um, their version of beef tartare. It's like a oh. shredded raw beef with spices, and it's pretty amazing. Um, I'm pretty mm. sure the Dutch national cuisine means it's deep fried and covered in mayonnaise. Oh, um, great. <laughs> well, I'm sold. Um, so that was pretty spectacular. That's my passport language. <laughs> it was a pretty spectacular place. That's great. And you said you went to um, Belgium for a time or two. Where were you in Belgium? Um, in Belgium, I spent a couple days in Brussels uh -huh. and uh, the weekend, another weekend in Bruges. Same. Um, I did that this last summer too. I was in Brussels and then Bruges for like a couple days each. Yeah, Bruges is. Uh, how would you describe Bruges? Um, I'd say it's one of the most picturesque towns I've ever been in. Totally. Um, it looks like a puzzle. Yeah. It kind of look. It's just like. Uh, you know, like chocolate everywhere, and there's like horses, and mm -hmm. I don't it's know. kind of a fairy tale. Yeah, honestly. there's like swans everywhere. Swans everywhere. The canals are beautiful. There's mm -hmm. um, flowers and ivy just growing around. Everyone rides a bike. Well, that's just um, that area of the world. Everyone rides bikes. Yeah. Like in the Netherlands, there's um, 16 million people in the Netherlands mm -hmm. and 18 million bikes. What? That's Yep, that's two million more bikes. How does that even make sense? Um, They're on it. They're on to something. It's a couple different things. One is the infrastructure is built for biking. Okay. Like, I never got in a car while I was in the Netherlands. Wow, Netherlands, really? Except, um, except for, like, once when someone was driving me to a grocery store. But the rest of the time, you just jump on a bike. Um, you can get anywhere in the city within half an hour on the bike. The ferries are free for getting across the river. And there's always um, bike lanes in the streets, so you can get anywhere you need to. It's very common. 
Um, some of the reason there's so many bikes is people will have bikes in different cities. So if you live in Rotterdam but you work in Amsterdam, okay, you just have your Amsterdam bike and your Rotterdam bike, and then you have a race bike for the weekends or things like that, and the number adds up quickly. Oh my gosh! So did you have your own bike while you were there? Yeah, I ended up getting a renting a bike from a company called Swap Feats, um, cool. which is super convenient. Um, and uh, made my life a lot easier not trying to figure out how to buy a bike and you know uh -huh. how to resell it. I could just say I need this for three months, get there, use it. It's fantastic. That is fantastic. And that's everywhere in that kind of corner of the world, I've heard them. Yeah. That's what you said, right? It's, it's pretty common for most of that area of the world, um, especially with like the Dutch culture extends mm -hmm. into Belgium because you have uh, the Flemish side and you have right. uh, French-speaking side. Uh -huh. So you definitely see a lot of um, overbleed in those areas and it's very sure. common to make and it's, you know, a three-hour train ride between the cities. So it's mm -hmm. not like here trying to go to Canada is a huge endeavor. Trying to go to another country is a very large endeavor. It's yeah. casually on the weekend or after work, you're like, hey, I'm going to go to Bruges or I'm going to go to Brussels and just head down. It's great public transportation. Do you think that was the biggest difference between here and there? Um, Infrastructure-wise, yay, maybe. Um, there's also, you know, huge differences in architecture, um, just kind of the design in general and how people live their life. But I'd say the cultures are very different on a more fundamental level. Mm -hmm. um, you felt like you were in a different country, even though English was kind of what you were hearing a lot absolutely, of the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, people acted very differently. Um, for instance, like my first time there, um, I met up with a couple of people that I'd emailed a few times, uh -huh. and they're view of what's acceptable to speak in society when you first meet someone is very different like uh, really um the dutch are known to be very blunt um, <laughs> okay okay but i appreciate that so like the first time we met they were like hey tell us about a, um this law that was just passed in america tell us about trump and then they would like make fun of it or poke uh, fun at your views and mm -hmm. they're definitely not politically correct as we'd see it in america like they could they would make jokes about other nationalities uh, oh, within okay. the Netherlands or, or within the uh, within Europe. So they would make you know a joke about a Polish uh, friend or about Spaniards always being late or things about yeah, that. Okay. And it, there was no mean-hearted spirit behind it. And I think that was a huge mm -hmm. thing where people were a little bit more laid back. People weren't freaking out all the time. Um, unless you were in the bike lane, then they would freak out. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> That's very fun. That's always interesting, the sort of uh, humor of other places mm -hmm. around the world. Like, I would love to see, like, a like a Amsterdam comedy or something and just see what, what the difference is. Because people sometimes get offended by stuff like The Office mm -hmm. here. So I feel it's, like they're really, like, let her rip. <laughs> it's, it was honestly a little refreshing to have people have... I'm, I'm not going to say thicker skin, but I'd say they'd be less offended by specific things. Mm -hmm. um, and people would be more open to conversations and discussions where they don't necessarily believe or follow your beliefs. Sure. Um, you'd have those disagreements, but you could discuss it and they wouldn't judge who you are as a person off mm, of what okay. you said or um, how you view the world. So that was a fantastic experience yeah, to be able to see yeah. how different people live that. It definitely sounded like you got some really insightful, like fresh perspective going over there. Absolutely. Very fruitful summer for you. Very fruitful summer. Uh, great time. Definitely learned to roll with the punches. Um. That's great. That's a great <laughs> life lesson. Um, okay, so every episode I ask my guest, what is engineering? 
If you could describe engineering in just like one word or a short phrase, what would you say? I would say engineering is application. Application. And that's a little bit deeper than it when it first comes across. Because okay. if you look at science, without engineering and the ability to apply this um, you know, fundamental truth of the nature we live in, uh-huh. this science is just philosophy, really. So yeah, okay. engineering is being able to do something with it and saying, you know, instead of being like, oh, I understand how combustion works, being like, we're going to build an uh, internal combustion engine. Or, you know, we understand friction, but how is that going to affect airplanes and drag and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and that applies to all the different fields of engineering, um, whether it's systems, aerospace, mechy, uh, computers, electrical, anything. And even beyond engineering is how our knowledge can be applied, how our life experiences can be applied, how our relationships with others can be applied. So, wow. um, I know that got a little bit deeper than no, we were No, I love that. That's really just... Uh, and that's so true, too. <laughs> wow, I feel very uh, informed right now. So engineering is application, that's where we're at right now with my... Are we friends now? Is this Basically. my new friend, Kevin? <laughs> Oh my gosh, so I learned what engineering is and I got a new friend. This has been a great episode. Um, Well guys, thanks so much for listening to Engineering Is. You can catch us every Friday and while you're at it, check out the other podcast on our network, Illinois Innovators, hosted by Mike Thune. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at U of I Granger. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for having me.